You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. I'd like you to open a Bible to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Because this is the last topical message for a while, we will be jumping around to a number of texts of Scripture, but I'd like us to have this as our, our base our base text for today. A, a word of encouragement for you. If you don't have a Bible, and I, I, am, I am pro-technology. Technology is a great tool, and having phone apps uh, with your Bible on them is a great thing. But to have a Bible that you can mark up uh, that you can make notes on during messages, during your own Bible study, really is a, a, a priceless uh, treasure. To have a Bible that you've, you've worn out, so you've got to go buy another one. That's, that's an investment. And so just basic tool when you come to church is to bring a Bible that's marked up. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful I was able to, to pick up a new Bible a few years ago. And I, I have a heading on Isaiah 43 and a whole bunch of underlining going on here. It says, Promises for the Fearful. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah was prophesying to a group of people who were in trouble, enemies all around. He talks about why he loves his people. He made them for his own glory. And so because of that, uh, he will be glorified in you and me one way or another. That really is comforting if you're his. So I'll be reading the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What comforting words. I mean, just stop right there. You belong to me. Now, of course, there's some responsibility that goes with that, right? So let's continue through the text. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And I'll, I'll pause here to make this comment. Of course, this was written immediately to national Israel and, and the promise of a return from captivity. And, and yet we, the, the Israel of God, the people who have been redeemed, who are his chosen nation, the New Testament equates us with those. There's comfort there. And so the application then comes in in this last verse. Why am I even here? Why am I going through all of this? Well, it's because he made us for his own glory. Everyone who is called by my name, verse 7 says, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Let's pray and then you can be seated. So our Father, we ask you to meet with us here this day. 
that you would give us a, a sense of purpose that doesn't just come from thinking that we are uh, special uh, because uh, of, of some inherent goodness, some quality in us. Thank you that you give purpose to those who are your own, who've been bought by the blood of Christ, who have a, a life mission. So remind us of what that is. Bring us to walk into this week and into our workplaces, even back to our homes, into uncomfortable situations to realize that, that we are here on mission and that you have a mission to be glorified in us. Make it our delight to fulfill that purpose this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I really wish I had had a study like this uh, as, a, as a young believer, as a new believer. And the, the truth is, sometimes God gets us at different places and we're not necessarily ready to listen. But I hope you'll pay attention to this last in our, our topical series on the solas of the, Christ, of, the, of the Protestant Reformation. Johann Sebastian Bach uh, lived two centuries after Martin Luther translated his Bible after Martin Luther in, in reading Romans realized that you can be a, a sinner and justified at the same time and he found hope and he called that his new birth experience. God brought him from death to life. Johann Sebastian Bach, as a young man, got hold of a copy of uh, Luther's German translation, and he, uh, talking about marking up your Bible, he, he marked up the margins in this Bible, and he came to understand something that I would call, at least when I'm teaching, I call it the Christian doctrine of vocation. Do you realize without Luther, there would be no Bach? Some of you say, well, who is that? Just Google it. Uh, if you're not musically inclined, uh, realize that this is a man who, as a youngster, uh, would sneak in. He lived. He, he was orphaned. He lived with his older brother, and uh, he was looked on as a little kid when he's like nine, ten years old. And he'd sneak into his brother's library, and he would take the music out late at night, and he would he would make copies of it. So when his brother was out during the day, uh, he could he could play the music. Bach would, in composing music at the top of the page, would put uh, JJ, that was his, his initials, and at the end of his music, uh, he would put SDG. So if you were to look at some of them, he would actually write it out, but most of it he would put those three letters, Soli Deo Gloria. All of the music that he wrote, and this was his life's work. It's like, boy, I wish I could have work like that. It, it's work. And uh, l- let me encourage you, if you're inclined musically, what, what a glorious life work to use the image of God in you to create beautiful things, whether that's sculpture or, or painting or discovering the things uh, scientifically that are, are way out in the cosmos or the teeniest, tiniest aspects of God's creation. To realize every role that we play is discovering the God of the universe. And so he wrote SDG at the bottom of all, all his music because he did not want to, to finish something without saying, this is worthy of my king. 
That is a purpose in life. In fact, here at Providence, uh, our Kids Quest on Wednesday nights, we do not want, first of all, to take your place as parents. You ought to be, moms and dads, teaching your children the Bible at home. We, don't, we can't take that from you. So don't outsource spiritual training for your children. But we are here to help you and to, to equip you. And so one of the things that we do on Wednesday nights, we have a catechism club for children. And it isn't like these are inspired of God, but from the scripture, what a wonderful thing to learn as a little child, the first question and answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And that is, what is man's primary purpose? And we have adults, we have children who've grown up and who are parents now who memorize this this here in church as teenagers and younger. What is man's primary purpose? And most of you here now can say that. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Again, that's the first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Understanding that there's a reason why you're here. Isn't that one of the basic questions that, that even pagans ask? Why am I here? Why, what's my purpose? Do you know there's a purpose that God's revealed to us about why you exist? You don't exist for your personal fulfillment. You don't exist just to burn brightly for a few years and then be gone. The, the old Schlitz beer commercial, you only go around once, so reach for all the gusto. Uh, we may want to reach for some gusto and, and carpe some diem in our lifetime, but the truth is the reason we want to glow brightly and burn out instead of rust out is not just so we can have the maximum amount of fun. It's so in enjoying God and in, in glorifying God, my whole purpose is this joy that comes from knowing him and reflecting his glory. It really is foundational for asking life's hardest questions and answering them. Uh, Really, when you consider the ramifications to this, if your primary purpose here, and I'm talking to those of you who are followers of Christ, so those of you who have come to understand your, your need of redemption, you've seen your sinfulness, you've seen it's a hopeless thing and you're deserving of judgment, and you've bowed the knee to King Jesus. You've become his follower if, if you are not at that place, then you need to just heed the warnings of being on the outside of this glory because it, it's, it's eternally destructive for you. But believer, I'm talking to you. If your primary purpose is to glorify God, you've got a reason to live. You've got a reason to get up in the morning. You've got a reason in the middle of darkness when things are so messed up that you never would have drawn it out this way. There's a reason for your existence. You realize When it comes to life purpose, you struggle for a cause in which death is not too high a price. To say, if I die following Jesus, that's that's no waste. That's no waste because he rules and my whole purpose here is to bring him glory. I'll quote a verse a little bit later where Paul says that very thing. Your identity is defined by something outside your own existence. Isn't that rich? To realize my identity isn't something I choose or I feel like at any given moment. My identity, for that matter, isn't chosen by the people around me who either call me names or praise me. If my primary purpose is to glorify God, I'm defined by something so much bigger than myself, by a person and a purpose that's bigger than me. That's why, see, we come in here and and sing songs, and, and whether you like the style or not of any given song, you pay attention to music that that 
points us to the glory of God and you're saying, there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than how I feel right now. And when the world is shrinking to the size of your problems, you realize it it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because there's something bigger than me. There's something much bigger than the way I'm feeling right now. In a culture where people do what they feel like doing and, and don't do what they don't feel like doing, and sometimes we even give it Christian terms, I just don't feel God's leading me to do that. The truth is there's something bigger than what you and I want or don't want. If your primary purpose is to glorify God, you know you can have a noble motivation for everything you do. You can have a sign, printed sign in front of you on your desk or your wall or just something imaginary that, you, that is constantly before your mind that says, why are you doing this? What's your motivation? And we can answer that biblically. What ought my motivation to be for everything I do? And that is, I exist to glorify God. So it isn't too tough to define Soli Deo Gloria. It's a teaching that says that people exist for the purpose of reflecting God's glory back to him. He is the glorious one. He's the creator of everything. You see him marching the nation of Israel through the wilderness in this glorious cloud by day and this pillar of fire at night. On one side of his presence, his glory is the blessing and protection of his people. And on the other side of that same cloud, that same pillar, is judgment. You know, you have great, uh, a great God-glorifying mission in your vocation, in your service, in your local church. You have a great God-glorifying mission in your household chores, in your academic work, in your relationships, in your creative work, in the way you spend your free time. And, and I know that Martin Luther is not the only one we have to thank, but he, he certainly is one who was in a place in looking at the scripture who, who would say, you people who are working all day long and getting next to nothing for it. My purpose in this, his purpose was not to cause them to revolt like a lot of them did, but he wanted them to see that there is a dignity in, in being a scullery maid. There's a dignity in changing diapers. There's a dignity in sweeping floors and working hard with your hands. It, it isn't just the people who were, who were the professional clergy who had worthy jobs. So we're going to do a, a survey, a flyover of, I mean, this, this is, when you have this in your mind, you're going to see this everywhere you go in scripture, that our primary purpose is to bring glory to God. I, I am going to just scratch the surface. We're going to look at like 14 or 15 different texts, and I'll put them up on the screen. You can write them down if you want, or you can just say, hey, Steve, would you email me your notes? And uh, I can do that. God is glorified when people see him as he is, first of all. So the question is, how do I glorify God? And the answer, first of all, and it's, it's, it's going to be a long, drawn-out uh, bunch of texts of Scripture, but we're going to fit them under an outline. God's glorified when people see him as he is. In other words, he is unspeakably glorious, but we still speak of him. He's unsearchable, but we still search him out. So David says in Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? It's his very title. King of glory. 
Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. When, when we confess him as he is, see him as he is, it's a great thing. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth. See, when you, when you perform skillfully, or you work hard, or you have thoughts that are worthy of him, you're not you're not making him glorious. You are reflecting his glory. In other words, you, you don't make God something he's not. He already is glorious, so our job is to be like the moon is to the sun. I just want to make sure that I am maximizing who he is and what he is to everybody around me. God is glorified when people see him as he is. E- even if it's a dim reflection in you and me, that's our job. He's also glorified when people see him next to his rivals. From the prophet Isaiah, again, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And people would say, well, what about that thing in Romans 8 that says that we are glorified, that we're, yes, we are sharers in his glory, but that, that, also comes back to him. We're his workmanship. He's transforming us in one day. Yes, sharers in his glory, but we're not the glory givers. We're the glory receivers. And so the Lord says, nope, glory is one thing I don't share. He is unspeakably glorious. Unspeakably glorious. That's why we, we, we should even be careful about calling people awesome. Say, that's a reflection of awesome. But that's not awesome. Only, only God is awesome. We're just reflections of awesome because he doesn't share his glory. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, uh, this is again under God is glorified when he is shown next to his rivals. Psalm 19, uh, Revelation 19 begins with, with this judgment that is coming and the, the smoke of, of Babylon is ascending to heaven. This is apocalyptic literature. I don't know that we have to say that this is actual Babylon, but it's still around. At any rate, there's this rejoicing in heaven. Why are the people so thrilled at a judgment that God's poured out on the earth? It's an attitude that's, that comes through all over the place in scripture. God's being shown next to his rivals. John says, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder. And what are the voices saying? Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. All of that glory in the context of what? God has just brought judgment on his rivals. God is glorified when his creatures delight in him and his works. God is glorified when his creatures delight in his works. That's, that's John Piper's uh, saying that he repeats over and over again uh, because it's true. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So I bring glory to God when I delight in him as, in his works. Our, our verse actually as a congregation, this is a different translation, but our verse for the month of October uh, comes from this text. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor 
or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for, here it is, for from him and, and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It, that, that really is, is a good summary of not only the sovereignty of God, but his desire to get glory from us. From him and through him and to him are all things. He will be glorified. It's kind of like the people we, we worry about in the world. It's like, oh, I just don't know. If, if, if it's not for me, you know, the world isn't going to be saved. It, it, isn't, it isn't that. There's a responsibility we take. God is going to rescue his people. The question is, are we going to delight in being a part of what he's doing? To, to have joy in realizing that I will bring him glory through my life for him, or for that matter, through my judgment. From him and through him and to him are all things. God will be glorified, and specifically, we can say, yeah, we, we, he's so deep. There's, there's no end to the amount of discoveries I can make. And so I am delighting in him. I'm delighting in what he's doing. And he's pleased when I do that. From Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> same idea, delighting in his works, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. God's glorified in the saving of his people. Paul says the same thing to the church at Ephesus. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. We become his heirs. He says, with, the review, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The end result of my salvation is not I get to escape hell and go to heaven, even though from our perspective, it's like, well, that's, that's a, a pretty good byproduct of God's rescue. But the chief end of man is not to experience salvation. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. God shows his power in judgment and God shows his mercy in redemption. Later in Ephesians, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Why are you here today? If, if, we, just, if we took a survey uh, and we were really honest, it's like, well, mom told me I had to get out of bed and come to church. Or... Um, I'm here because it's just a habit. It's just what we do on Sundays. And that's, that's not necessarily low motivation. I'm here because I always feel recharged and I always feel better after I come to church. Or I'm here because there's this special person I like to see at church. And when you think of all of the motivations that we have for coming into an assembly like this, for that matter, why did we stand up and sing? It's like, well, that's because I'd look stupid if I didn't stand up and sing. I sure don't feel like it on this gray day. There's, there is a God-glorifying reason that all of us can understand, those of us who follow Christ anyway, we can bring glory to God when we understand the purpose for which we were created. We can bring glory to God when we understand 
why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. And when we are proclaiming in song and listening to words from the Bible that tell us about God's power and his works. I just said this, God is glorified when people understand the purpose for which they exist. Not just God is glorified when people exist. He he is. But when we come to understand it, I just read this for you earlier, but I'll, I'll read it again in a, a smaller section of Isaiah 43. When God says, do not fear for I am with you, I will bring your offspring from the east, gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I've made. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is just such a, such a succinct summary of this Soli Deo Gloria teaching. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Think about that, that, how that would impact your academic work, students. Whether you're a college student or, or you're, you are going to a, a public school or you are uh, homeschooled and you have a stack in front of you, you have a list in front of you, to go into that with this mindset, I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my personal comfort. The very reason I've been allowed to live and breathe another day is to bring glory to the God who created me. That's reflected in what I do. For that matter, when I sit down to a meal, if I'm asking myself, how do I bring glory to God in this? I mean, not only is this a remedy for, for selfish eating or, or other, other indulgences, it's a remedy for, for, for diving in like the dog without pausing and saying, what a good thing you gave me, Lord. And thanking him, whether that would be out loud or silently, whether your eyes are open or closed, your head bowed, or you're looking at that delightful meal. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. From Revelation chapter 4, a part of John's vision. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for, it's coming from creation again, for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. God is glorified when people understand the purpose for which they exist. He's glorified when people speak the truth about him and themselves. Did you know that even in confessing sin, you are, you are glorifying God? Achan. Most of you here have read through your Bible a few times. If you haven't, let me encourage you to do it. Most of you know Achan. And you know what was about to happen to him and yet Joshua, because, because of Achan's sin, they had lost people in the army. And so Joshua said, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. He wasn't asking him to sing a song. He wasn't asking him to give a testimony. He was asking him to make a confession. I mean, it was pretty obvious at that point that he'd been caught anyway. The, the lot fell to him, and it was, it was very obvious. And he had these things in his tent, uh, which they found after this. 
But he said, tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. We, when you refuse to live any longer in this land of look behind, in this place where you're just dreading getting caught or being exposed for what you are, when you finally, before God and, if necessary, the appropriate humans confess your sin, that is a means of bringing God glory. He is glorified when people speak the truth about him and themselves. So we have a confession of faith. We're bringing glory to God by confessing our faith about who he is and what he's done. And we're bringing glory to God when, when we confess our sins to him. God is glorified when his people use his gifts. You can say, well, you mean their gifts. Well, they're his because he gave them to us uh, on loan. God is glorified when people use his gifts the way they were intended to be used. Now, you and I both know that there are things that God has given us, whether we're calling it something off the list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, or just some people have have abilities that others around them do not have. That may be because of training. It may be because you've got just some real musical genes or some mechanical genes in your family and you're able to use that. But you know, and I know that it's possible to use those things to bring glory to ourselves, to call attention to ourselves. And so we're, we're making a great discovery or our bright minds come up with a witty statement or, or we, we, we come up with a cure for some dreaded disease. It is possible to seek attention for yourself through your gifts. But God is glorified when people use the gifts he gave them for his own glory. And so Paul told the church at Colossae, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Peter says, whoever speaks, and he's talking about this is spiritual gift context. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who's serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see that? The end result of, of your gifting in the body of Christ is to use it and then to say, God be glorified in that. I know it's possible to, to say praise the Lord without really meaning praise the Lord. But I mean, what else are you going to say? You do something, God's moved you to do something and you're kind or you're skillful and somebody notices and they say, wow, that was, that was just a wonderful thing you did. First of all, it's not proud to say, well, thank you or thank you for the encouragement I also don't think it's cliched to say, praise the Lord for that. And really mean it. Because that's the whole reason God puts you in the place to be the blessing to that person who's praising you right now. God's glorified when his people use his gifts the way they were intended to be used. God is glorified when his people use their bodies for his purposes. We had quite a number of young people from our church uh, at Silver Ring thing event at Rice Lake High School this week, and uh, there were 475 teens from our community, plus a lot of parents and volunteers who were a part of that event. And even if it wasn't necessarily the kind of event you would have put together, the word of God was, was opened and proclaimed, and young people were challenged that there's a bigger purpose for, for you than to just... <laughs> 
live out what you feel like doing in your life. Our bodies were created by God for a purpose. And so you can take that a lot of different directions. The Lord Jesus just said generally, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I, I grew up thinking that this text was about cigarettes, but it, it goes a lot, a lot deeper than that. And the context is, is not just about being a poor steward of your body and taking, consuming things that are harmful. This, the context was about sexual immorality on the inside of us and on the outside of us. And so he calls the church at Corinth to these words, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. God gave me this body, and and this body is not to be worshipped. This body is to be used as a vessel. It's it's the temple. If I'm a believer, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That makes me a temple janitor. That means that I I take care of, I steward what God has given me, and I want to make sure that it's used for holy purposes. Philippians 1. I said earlier that this is a text that I... um, that I was talking about when Paul said, I I may die, but that's okay. Uh, There's something bigger than my life going on here. And so Paul said, I will rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, look at this. Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. There are things more important even than your survival. In an academic setting where cheating uh, is acceptable or at least uh, people don't know they're cheating, um, I'm talking about, oh, does that happen here too? But uh, in, in Haiti, when I'm talking to students, I, I challenge them before every quiz, even though a lot of these guys are already serving as pastors, I say to be a man of integrity is more important than living. It is more important to be pure of heart and pure in body and use what God has given you. It is more important to glorify him in your body than to live. And that's why Paul said, maybe Jesus will be glorified in my life. Maybe he'll be glorified in my death. But (laughs) my role, my goal is to exalt Christ in my body, whether by life or by death. I alluded to the, the, the Cambridge Declaration, which isn't that old, but it's a restatement by a a, a group of confessing churches, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, uh, a, a reaffirmation of soli deo gloria. So I'm going to give you just a few quotes before we get to applying this text. The Cambridge Declaration says, we reaffirm that because salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God, it is for God's glory and that we must glorify him always. We must live our entire lives before the face of God, under the authority of God and for his glory alone. We deny that we can properly glorify God if our worship is confused with entertainment, if we neglect either law or gospel, 
in our preaching or if self-improvement, self-esteem, or self-fulfillment are allowed to become alternatives to the gospel. Couldn't be clearer uh, in my mind a, a biblical affirmation of soli deo gloria and a denial of, of what certainly is not soli deo gloria. Charles Spurgeon said this, man's chief end is to glorify and to enjoy God. God's greatest and highest object is to make himself a glorious and an everlasting name. Isn't that good? Bach put it very simply. I play the notes as they're written, but it is God who makes the music. What a, what a joy to be able to say, I am here for him and my, the work that I do this week. If I'm, if I'm sitting in front of a, a, a computer screen all day long and, and getting stiff, but, but the, the way I spend that screen time or the way I spend that time in front of my students or in front of my children or, or in the line at the factory or managing unreasonable people who are less than entirely sanctified all week long and dealing with these problems. Do you realize there's a holy, it's a holy endeavor that you have, whether you're interacting with others or you're just interacting with work. God is glorified when we see that work as something that is a gift from him. So we're going to, to end today just summarizing what we've learned. How you live your life for the glory of God alone. These are things that you're going to say, oh yeah, you, you already said this. So I, I'm restating some things that I said earlier, but I want us to get this because it makes a difference in our church. It makes a difference in your house. It will make a difference in your workplace. If your whole life you realize, I live my life before the face of God and for the glory of God. And that means even in my interaction with my spouse or, or other unreasonable people in my life, I can bring glory to God by the things that come out of my mouth. For that matter, my attitude, whether I roll my eyes or not, all of these things, every part of my life is given to him. He has an intimate concern in all that you do. Whether you're sitting down to the dinner table or walking into the voting booth or walking into your workplace or touching the dial on your radio or opening whatever it is you're going to read, you live your life for the glory of God alone. This was not just some new teaching that came out of the Reformation. It was, I think I, I, we've made that clear, and assumed all the way through the Bible. Here's the first one. You grow in your desire to know everything you can about his character and his works. You become curious about searching out this God who's unsearchable whose riches are, are una we're unable to fathom his wisdom and his riches and his knowledge. But we still want to know. Within pagan, a lot of pagan religions, it's like, well, you know, these gods are, are untouchable and we ought to be afraid of them or our mother of the earth is mad and so she's got a fever and she's about to spew us out. There, there's all of this untouchable paganism that even creeps into science in our day. But to realize the more I study out what he made, I'm studying out his gifts to me. I'm studying out the human body. I'm studying out the, the world and, and the way it was structured. I'm studying space. I'm studying 
my job and how I make things work better, I am learning about his character and works as I grow in my curiosity for him and for what pleases him. You humbly worship when his rivals are judged, and we, we saw that in a couple of different places. What that means is, I, I, I read Psalm 37 last Sunday morning, and I, I confess to you that there was a time in my life when I was taking delight in the beginning words of Psalm 37 about the destruction of the evil, and they're going to get mowed down, and I'm picturing a rotary lawnmower and, and the enemies. But, but when you read more of Psalm 37, you realize, no, the victory is when my goals become the same as his. When I'm humbled before him and realize he is going to bring that judgment, it's not my job to bring the judgment on the bad guys and the bad gals. And ultimately, when you see someone reaping the consequences of their sin, you take no satisfaction in the destruction of, of the evildoer. You take satisfaction that God's the one who makes those calls. And you and I don't have to because we'd mess it up. So you humbly worship when his rivals are judged. We even keep that in mind when we talk about national matters and, and enemies of our nation. Uh, we may be God's instrument in, in bringing an evil regime down at one point or another as a nation. But our joy ought to be in, in God rescuing people, not in somehow taking our revenge and, and having delight in seeing someone suffer or be destroyed. Living life for the glory of God alone means that you grow in the practice of praising him. And I do think it's something that you can in increase in. I, I, I think it's a good habit to be able to say, well, praise the Lord for that. But sometimes we even say that facetiously, not realizing that, yeah, that flat tire is something I can say, thank you, Lord, even though I, I don't want this, to be able to praise you that you have a purpose bigger than mine. To be able to come in next Sunday morning during our Sunday school time that we're calling Harvest Sunday and we're combined in this room and saying, do you know what? Even though I'm afraid to talk in front of people and I would actually rather be punched than stand up in front of a church and, and talk, I realize that I can bring God glory by telling these people, do you know what he's done? You can bring God glory by opening your mouth publicly but it certainly starts in the private practice of praising him. To be able to have your phone give you a reminder of his character and then you smile and you say, isn't that just like him? Isn't that just like him to be so good and so generous and so wise because I never would have written it this way? Praise you in the middle of the storm. You're growing and living life for the glory of God alone when you know why you are where you are right now. There's a big one, isn't it? Why, not only why do I exist, but why in the world am I at this place right now? And there's, there's a short answer for that. And that is God is bringing himself maximum glory by making you like his son. That's Romans eight twenty nine, the verse that we tend to skip over after verse 28. God is making his people into the image of his son, but that doesn't always happen with smooth sailing. I know where I am right now because I know God doesn't make mistakes. I know that God is up to something in the middle of my darkest night. 
You bring glory to God alone when you confess the truth about God and yourself. And yeah, that includes confessing sins and, and personal examination, but it also includes saying, Lord, you are, and then you fill in the blank. How, how could you do that? How many could you come up with? If we were just to say, okay, let's list the attributes of God. And then in your personal worship, you're saying, God, you are, and then you think about that for a little while. Lord, you are changeless. What does that mean to me today? Lord, you are boundless in your power. You are boundless in your mercy. You're boundless in time. You have this temporal infinity. There's no end to you. There was no beginning to you. How comforting it is that you are changeless through all time eternity, past and eternity, future, and here I am just all messed up in my emotions thinking that it's all about how I'm feeling right now. Thank you, God, that you bring this stability to my life. That's confessing the truth about God and yourself. Two more. You work hard for the right reason. Aren't there some people who work hard just because it's a habit? That's a good habit to get into. There are people who work hard because it makes them look better than the people next to them. There are people who work hard because they're just hungry and they know that if they don't work hard, they're not going to get paid and then they're not going to eat. There are lots of neutral motivations for working hard. There are bad motivations for working hard. But I mean, for a follower of Christ, when I catch on to this, my breath, my next breath, let alone all of the work that I do when I've got that oxygen sucked into my bloodstream, all that comes out of that is for him. It's for him. So you work hard for the right reason. And I said one more. You remember that you are not your own. You are not your own. Paul said that to the church at Corinth. You, you belong to Christ. Isaiah the Lord said that through Isaiah to the people, you are mine. I created you for my glory. You are mine. And when you remember that you are not your own, then you realize, then I don't get to call the shots. I have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your word? I already told me that I should be doing, but if I don't have a specific marching order, what brings you glory in the middle of this? Here I go. Be glorified. Let's pray. Our Father, please bring us to this joy increasingly. It's possible as, some, as, as people who've been believers for a long time to have never really heard these things. So we thank you for, for those who've brought it to our attention through the years, who've allowed us to be at this place where we, uh, the people of Providence, can, can sit here before your eyes and as you see our hearts and and listen to our thoughts, you mold us and are changing us. Make this week different. Make our motivation what it ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen.